All right, good morning, y'all. It's so fun to walk up here and not have to fumble with my glasses and wait for them to defog. It's great to see the rest of your faces. Um, uh, nice to see smiles with, with mouths and not just eyes, so that's fun. Uh, my name is Fred. I am the uh, lead pastor here at Fellowship, and like Andrew said, we do have a great staff to work with, and it is so much fun. I wish uh, y'all could all be here for some of our staff meetings because we do laugh a lot. And then what's so fun is we, we tend to, as a staff, we come together and talk about uh, tough decisions and talk about things that we just need to work through. And then we always make a real simple decision at the end, and that's called tacos. Right? And, and, and we go have tacos together. It's Taco Tuesday, $1. It is great fun. Um, and so, so tacos is kind of becoming my synonymous thing with let's make a simple decision. Tacos. That's a simple decision. Everybody likes tacos. So uh, with that, I want to tell you about a decision that we've made um, regarding our, our gathering times, regarding our in-person service and our virtual service. Uh, since summer is a summer to reconnect, uh, what we have decided with staff and elders' support is to move two in-person services to one service at 10 and to move the virtual service to 10. Uh, that way, um, one, as you can tell, we've still got room in here. We could actually triple the number of people in here and, and still have room because we've got more chairs that we can bring out and all that. And since our summer is a summer to reconnect and we kind of entered this season of reconnecting, it seems really fitting to have us all in the same room. And so that's one of the reasons we're doing it. Uh, the other reason that we're doing it is that we made the decision to go to two services when uh, social distancing was still mandated. And it made sense because we were filling up the, the number of people we could have in here for one service. And so uh, to go to two services, it takes four or five months to kind of make that plan, recruit volunteers and all that stuff. So we made that plan then, and then, and then that mandate lifted. Uh, so, so now it just seems fitting to, to go to, to one service, and we thought we'd kind of split the difference between the nine and the 11 and, and landed at 10 o'clock. And then, and then the third reason for it, too, is that to recruit volunteers for two services. The volunteer recruitment fell short of our expectations. We don't really have enough volunteers to adequately support two services, but we do for one. Uh, and so that was another key indicator as this is what the, the Lord was asking us to do. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a lot of fun with one services. I one service uh, in person, one service online at the same time. I don't know if you notice out in the courtyard, there's a lot of games and stuff uh, because when we finish up the service we want people out there playing and, and hanging out and, and, and reconnecting and getting to know each other. All right, so what time will y'all be here next week? 10. Very good. Thank you. I will see y'all then. And uh, just one more quick plug. You have until the end of the day today uh, to send me a dad joke because what is next Sunday? Father's Day. Y'all are on the ball today. Good job. Good job. Good job. All right. Well, let me ask you a question as we dive into our text today. Uh, the question is this. Um, have you ever been in a situation, at least you're pretty sure this is a situation, this is something that God is asking you to do, and you do it, and you step out in faith, and, and you, 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 you've prayed, you've, you've done all the things, and then you step out in faith, maybe it was quitting the job you need to quit, or starting the thing that you needed to start, or finishing the thing that you started and hadn't finished, uh, but when you were in the midst of it, and you knew this is what God had wanted you to do, did you feel like you kept hitting this? Did you feel like you ever kept hitting opposition, right? Resistance. Um, anybody ever feel that? You're doing what God is asking you to do, and you keep kind of bumping into things as you do it. 
And do you ever feel like no matter where you turned as you were doing this, you faced resistance of some kind? Maybe, maybe it's your faith is actually being attacked. Like you, you step out in faith, and then people start questioning your faith. People start doubting your faith. You start doubting your faith. Maybe you've been called names by those around you as you step out in faith. Maybe you've been, been made fun of on social media or an online bully as you've stepped out in faith. Or maybe a, an in-person bully is, is, has made fun of you as you've stepped out in faith. Or maybe as you've stepped out in faith, your own thoughts have condemned you. And you hear stuff in your head that just doesn't make sense. Anybody ever experience any of that stuff? If so, you're not alone. And, and, and what we're going to see today in Nehemiah chapter 4 is that what we experience when we experience opposition is very, very familiar to those of us who are doing what God is stirring in our heart to do. Who, As we step into rebuilding with God, we face that. And so go ahead and turn there to Nehemiah chapter 4. And as you turn there, I just want to remind you of where we were last week. Last week, we added a power cord up there because we talked about doing what God asks you to do, experiencing godly success. That's what we're calling that, stepping out in faith. Success not based on the results, but based on your obedience, that you're obediently following God, and that is a success no matter what happens with the results, that godly success needs God's people. And we use this, this illustration of a power cord, that you plug a power cord into the outlet, and you've got power in the cord, which is great. But you don't really see that power on display until you plug it into something else, right? And, and that's God's people. And when God's people are together doing what God asked them to do, you get to see this display of God's power that you can't see when, when, when you're by yourself. And so we saw how godly success needs God's people. But today, what we're going to see is often what happens when we're experiencing that godly success, when we're doing what God is asking us to do and stepping out in faith, that as godly success grows, so does something else. As godly success grows, opposition grows. Right? Now, if, if I was in certain churches, that would get an amen from the congregation, right? <laughs> like, we've experienced that. That as we step out in deeper faith, the opposition seems to be deeper too. And y'all, that is a natural part of our spiritual walk. And there's something in us that pushes against that, right? There's something in us that says, but if I'm following God, it should be easy, right? It should be this red carpet that's laid out. That's not the economy of God. But that opposition doesn't have power over us. And that's what we're going to see today. So, let's look at verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, and let's see what happens. It says, Now, when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. So remember, Nehemiah, what God had stirred in him to do was to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. So he's there, the, the, the nation is rebuilding the wall with him, <clears throat> and this guy Sanballat we've seen before. Sanballat and Tobiah, they're the ones that, 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 that are most opposed to what God is doing. And, and the reason Sanballat particularly is opposed to what God is doing is that he is a Samaritan. And, and what's interesting, if you, if you follow the history of the Samaritans uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you see that they don't have a great relationship with the nation of Israel. It's why when Jesus talked to the, to the woman uh, from Samaria, at the well, like, like, like the disciples were like, dude, why are you talking to her? Right? Well, it started all the way back here because when Israel was taken out of their land, the Samaritans occupied Jerusalem. 
and they occupied the land because there was nothing protecting the land. And so, so, so they kind of made their home there. Well, now that, now that the nation of Israel is back and rebuilding the wall, Samballot doesn't want that to happen because he's going to lose the home that he and his family has known for a while. He's, he's going to be kicked out, and, and he has a very vested interest in that wall not being rebuilt. Well, let's look at what he does because we see he's angry, and we see that he does not like what's going on. In verse 2, it says this, And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria. So this is important. It's not just Sanballat that's there. Y'all, he's got an entire army with him. As the nation of Israel is trying to rebuild this wall, just outside of where they are working, there is an army there with Sanballat who doesn't want that wall to be rebuilt. Well, look at, look at what this army is doing in the rest of verse 2. So as he said, in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they, will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? So, so, so picture this. Here's what he does. He's, it's him and he's got this army and people are working. Now, if you were watching this unfold in a movie, what would you expect? You would expect bows and arrows to be pulled back. You would expect in certain times, you know, if, it was, if, it, if they had cannons, cannons to be rolled out and, and shots to be fired. Well, shots were fired, but it wasn't weapons of man. It was spiritual weapons that were fired. This army used words. Words to stop the work of the, of the nation of Israel, to stop the work of God. Because, y'all, here's the deal, and you see this throughout the entire Scripture, that words are the enemy's most powerful weapon against us. Words. You see, Samballot has this army, and the first weapon that they throw are insults and words. And not just any words. These words are specifically designed and specifically crafted to dash hope to the ground. Because if they can have the, the nation of Israel lose hope in their God, what fills that cavern when hope is taken out is fear. And when fear is in place, the enemy has all the ammunition that he needs. He wins. You see, because he knows if he can destroy hope, he can induce fear. Because words are the enemy's weapons to do just that, to diminish hope and to instead build up fear. And so what does he attack to steal the hope? What, is, what, what, is the, what are these words crafted to do? Well, here's how our hope can be destroyed. And y'all, it's true then and it's true now. Because look at what he says. he says. He says, what are these feeble Jews doing? Right? That's the first phrase that he says. Now, this word feeble is the picture of a plant that is withering and dying. And he wants this nation who is, who is working with the power and under the authority of the God of the universe to see themselves as weak. Because if he does, he wins. 
because they will be fearful. He says, he says will, they, will they restore it for themselves? In other words, they don't have the power to do this. And this, he attacks their identity. They can't do this. You can't do this. I know God is asking you to do this. I know you've got a great leader named Nehemiah. But you know what? At the end of the day, you don't have what it takes. Anybody ever hear that voice in your head? It's attacking your identity. You don't have what it takes. Because if he can get them to believe that they aren't the right kind of person to do what God is asking them to do, then they'll stop. You see, he'll try to to believe that they don't have what it takes. Listen to what he says, because now he's going to tell them just what they don't have. He says, will they sacrifice? In other words, this isn't going to work, y'all. You don't even have the the faith to do this. Because the the nation of Israel, their, their faith system was built on sacrificing. And he says, you can't even do that right. You don't have the faith to do this. And keep in mind... He says this as they're exercising that faith in rebuilding the wall. He tries to get them to believe that they don't. He says, will they finish up in a day? You don't have the time for this. Anybody ever hear that as you're trying to step out and what God is asking you to do? You don't have time. Now, side note here. You realize for all of eternity, we've all had the same amount of time, 24 hours in a day. That doesn't change. We've all got the same amount of time, and God gives us that time. But our enemy will tell us we don't have the time for this. He says, he says well, they revived the stones out of heaps and rubbish and burns, burned ones at that. In other words, you, you don't even have the resources to do this. You don't have the faith. You don't have the time. You don't have the resources. You don't have the identity to do this. You don't have the, the, the ability to do this. You see, Samballot has this army at his disposal, and what he's doing instead is he is attacking who they are to diminish their hope. Because if he can diminish their hope, he can give them fear. And when the people of God are operating in fear, the work of God stops. You see, what we're going to see is, is, is hope. In these areas, hope and identity, hope and ability, time, faith, resources, those are the things that only Jesus can provide us. Only Jesus gives us an identity that is sure. Only Jesus gives us the ability to do what he's asked us to do. And only in Jesus can can we have the faith and time and and correct use of our resources to to move the work of God forward. Only Jesus gives us what we need and when we need it. You see, what he is doing is where hope decreases, fear increases. And what we're going to see is Jesus flips that around because he gives us hope. But this attack isn't over. Look at verse 3, y'all. We're only two verses into this. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says this, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, uh, he'll, break it he'll break down their stone wall. I don't know if y'all have seen a fox. Foxes are pretty small little creatures, right? And this guy Tobiah says, he, he says, listen, if, if, a, if a small little cat walks up on that thing, the whole thing's going to crumble down. And so he attacks the worth of God's work and he says it's not worth anything, even if they accomplish this. It's fine. It's not going to measure up. You see, it'll eventually crumble is what he's saying. And in, in, in these areas, like what we have to understand is that you and I will be attacked the same way with words from our enemy. 
Now, Sam Ballot and Tobiah, you know, they kind of represent the enemy here. I think they're obviously real people, and, 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 and they're doing what our enemy does. But in what our enemy does is that he uses words to decrease our hope and to increase our fear. Let me ask you, have you ever been reading your Bible? Right? Have you ever been praying? Have you ever been doing that, and all of a sudden you get these crazy thoughts in your head? Thoughts that you're like, where in the world did these come from? Thoughts like, you're not God's child. Are you really even saved? Or maybe you do that sitting in here, right? And you hear these thoughts pop in your head. Are you even saved? That's the enemy attacking your identity. Do you hear, listen, there's no way you can understand this stuff anyway. Just close the book. That's ta- attacking your ability. Do you hear, you know... You really are all alone in this. Nobody on the planet struggles with this. None of your friends do. You're all alone. God doesn't even like you when you do this. You're so alone. You see, that's attacking your faith. Or you're too busy to stop and pray. You don't have time today. You need to sleep. Right? That's attacking your time. Or maybe you hear, yeah, that's a great idea, you, you, but you never can have the money to do that, right? Right? You can never have the people that it takes to do this. That's resources, time, money, people. Or maybe you're too shy, you're too young, you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're not enough. That's your worth. You see, these are all attacks from the enemy. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have heard those or something similar to those? We all have. You are not alone. You see, the enemy is the same. If he can get you to lose hope, he can get you to fear. When you're operating in fear, you do all kinds of crazy stuff. You see, look at how Nehemiah responds, though, because there is hope for us. Look at how he responds in verse 4. He says this, he says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. In other words, what what does Nehemiah do? When these people are attacking him, what does he do? He prays. He talks to God. He talks to God about them. And sometimes I've wondered if he talks to God about them in front of them. Like, wouldn't that change a conversation? Right? You're being attacked, Jesus. Listen, um, this fool standing in front of me, they need some of your wisdom. Right? Because that's basically what he did. But here's what's important. Their attention was on him. When they were attacked, his attention went to God. His attention went to God because what's great about this prayer is Nehemiah knows something. He knows if the work that he is doing is God's work, that when it is attacked, God is attacked. It's not Nehemiah being attacked. It's God's work that's being attacked. And which is true. Sam Ballot and Tobiah, they could care less about Nehemiah. They don't want God's work to continue. And see, when, what else Nehemiah knows is that when God's work is provoked, that God can protect his work. Because it's God's work. You see, that this ancient weapon that the enemy uses is fear and words. But it has 
an ancient defense called prayer. And when we pray, it it directs our attention to God. Because notice, Nehemiah doesn't attack back with words. He doesn't attack back with words to them. He doesn't attack back with words about them. He doesn't call his friend and say, can you believe what they're saying? I have never heard anybody say anything like that before. What am I supposed to do? He goes directly to God about them. You see, church, we don't have to defend God's work. God is fully capable of defending it himself. Our job is to work with God as he does the work. That's our job. And our attention is best placed on God, not our enemy. Doesn't mean we ignore the enemy. It's just he doesn't get our attention. You see, after Nehemiah prayed, look at what happens in the next next verse. Verse 6, it says, so we built the wall. Right? Like, it worked. This attack's coming. Nehemiah prays. People keep building. The work continued. You see, you can't do the work of God when you've got this anger and hostility and fear directed towards humanity. One has to give so the other can exist. And what they did is they dealt with the fear, they dealt with the dashed hope so that the work of God can continue. And so church, we must deal with one before we embrace the other. We have to deal with the the fear, we have to deal with the hurt, we have to deal with the anger in our own heart before the work of God can continue. And I'm telling you as a pastor, I have seen the work of God stop because of those things. Because of fear in the hearts of God's people. Because of anger towards humanity in the hearts of God's people. Fred, if you only knew what they said to me, then you would understand. Listen, I understand. I have had the weirdest stuff said about me. But, and it has stopped me too before. Like, I'm not just talking about y'all. I'm talking about me. I get it. But when we pray, and our attention is on God and not our enemy, and we let God do the work in us and through us, those words lose their power. And hope is built back up. Now, now, like I said, maybe for some of us today, we need to be praying for those who are the target of our anger. For those who are trying to reduce hope and induce fear. Maybe we need to be praying for them. And maybe, if you want, try this and let me know. Pray for them in front of them and see how that goes. <laughs> film that for me that'd be great just set up the camera let's just see how that goes in light of that just pray for them all right because y'all look at this look at look at as godly success grows opposition goes we're only halfway through the chapter there's more look at verse seven verse seven says this it says let's see so we built the wall and let's finish verse six so we built the wall and all the wall was joined together uh, to half its height because this is important for the people had in mind to work and so so in verse six we see that the wall's being built it's not fully built there are places where there is these dips in the wall it's only half its height verse seven but when Samballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdites heard that the repairing of the walls in Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed They were very angry and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Now here's the deal. If you get out your your atlas and you get out your map in the back and you look at where these areas are, you see Samballot's from the north, Tobiah's from the east, the Arabs are from the south, and the Ashdites are from the west. What we're doing is we're seeing the nation of Israel is now surrounded by people who don't want the work of God to continue. You see, as opposition, as, as, as... as 
uh, godly success grows, opposition grows, and the opposition is plotting against them. And this time it was to continue to cause fear. Why? Because as hope decreases, what increases? Fear. So let me ask you this. What makes you afraid? I've been reading the Gospels lately, just trying to continue to soak in Jesus, and I'm often amazed by how many questions he asks. He asks people, do you want to be healed? You know, the, the, the questions are powerful because they expose what's really going on in our heart. And, and my question to you is, what makes you afraid? Like, what are those fears that whisper and bounce around in your soul? What are the themes in your life where you see hope diminished and fear increase? Is it you're not enough? Do you fear that? Do you fear that you don't have enough? Do you fear that maybe you're too much, right? Do you fear that people don't like you, people won't like you, people won't stay with you? Y'all, I can tell you from experience that the more fear is exposed, here's the beautiful part of it, the more we can see Jesus as the answer to those fears. You see, the answer isn't to, 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 to ignore those fears. The answer is to look them straight in the face and see how Jesus is better than those fears. That's our answer. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says this. So they're surrounded, and here's what happens. Guess what they did? It says, and we pray to our God, And set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So now what Nehemiah does is they continue to pray, but he's moved people to these these places where the walls are down. You see, if words are the enemy's weapons, prayer is our shield. And we'll see in a minute just what they did when they moved them in there and when Nehemiah set up a guard. But but first, this chapter is going to make an interesting turn. uh, Because some of the words that the enemy has thrown at them has made an impact. Look at verse uh, verse 10. It says, In Judah it was said, The strength of those who will bear the burden is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said... They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us uh, ten times, you must return to us. You see, as they were doing the work, people would come from the outside villages and come to Jerusalem and do work. Well, what's happened is word has spread in those villages that this work is awful, like rumor has spread. And so what happened is these mamas are hearing Their babies are going to Jerusalem to this work, and it's not safe. And so fear has set in, and they want their babies back home, right? And they want the work to stop because those fears have set in. Now, y'all, I'm not saying that the media is a tool of an enemy by the story I'm about to share, but have you ever noticed how much fear is in the news? It's like, You can't watch the news without being fearful for the first 15 minutes till you get to the weather, right? And then you're just annoyed. And then they do a good story at the end because they think that helps. Right? But it's fear because they know if you can be afraid, you'll watch to see tomorrow what happens. 
right? Because we want that fear relieved. When I was in, I was doing uh, some mission work in Russia, and we would always kind of go deep into Russia, and then we would come back and spend a couple of days in Moscow, just kind of adjusting back to, to civilization. And, and we typically stayed at this one hotel that overlooked Red Square. It was this great hotel. And as a matter of fact, if you're ever in my office, I have this watercolor painting uh, that I was, I was walking around one square, Red Square one day. There was this, this artist there, and he painted this picture. And I'm like, that's the view out of my room. That's creepy. But I'm going to buy the picture um, because it looked like just what I saw when I looked out of the room in my hotel. And there was one night where I noticed this bus was kind of parked on the corner of, of Red Squares. I could see the, the side of the bus from the hotel room. And um, there were like three police cars around it. And it turns out it was a hostage situation that some terrorists in Moscow had held up uh, this bus full of Asian tourists. And the news media got a hold of it. And the news media made you think that Moscow was in complete shutdown because of this hostage situation. That wasn't the case. There were literally three police cars. They let them out, and they had lunch somewhere, and they let them go to the bathroom and take showers and then get back in the bus. I'm not saying it wasn't traumatic for them, but it wasn't as dramatic as the news made it sound. Now, here's what's interesting. This wasn't the Moscow news. Moscow news didn't even talk about it for obvious reasons. But... The American news did. You know who heard that story? My mama. My mama. And when I got home, she was scared to death that I was going to be taken hostage by these terrorists. Right? That's what fear does. Fear takes what reality, what's really happening, and makes it dramatic. To where we have to respond a certain way. You see, that's what what happened here. Listen, I can't tell you how many times I have let fear stop me from doing the work of God, particularly uh, the places where the enemy knows those weak walls, those walls that are half built in my life, are are, are fear of resources, that we won't have what it takes to do what God is asking us to do. We don't have the people. We don't have the money, right? Right? And yet, God put me in a place where I'm over the budget and volunteers and all this stuff where it's continually people and money. And you know what? God is continually faithful to do what he wants us to do. He gives us the money and he gives us the people right when we need it every single time. And yet, it's where my wall is still half built. I still fear in those places. Worth is is something that I hear all the time. Am I really enough to do this? And it's taken decades of counseling and work to think that maybe with Jesus I am. That's as far as I've gotten right now. The wall isn't as low as it was, but it's still a place. Do, am I, do I have enough? To see, as opposition grows, so does Nehemiah's plan for protection. Look at what Nehemiah does. In verse 13, he says this. He says, so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in the open places, I stationed people with their clans with swords and spears and bows. So what we're going to see is that they're working and there's people there in those low walls to defend the wall. He stationed, he stationed people at the low parts of the wall. Because remember, some of it was only half of normal height. And where there are places where, where it was still easy to be entered in, those weak places, Nehemiah put extra people in those places. Nehemiah put, places, uh, put people in those places with weapons to defend and attack where the nation was the weakest. Do you see where I'm going to go with this one? Right? Church, when we know our weak places, it means we can put extra defenses there to build strength. 
extra prayers there, extra scriptures there, bringing people into those weak places and say, listen, I struggle with thinking that I don't have enough to do what it takes to do what God is asking me to do. And I've got wise people that are older than me to say, Fred, with Jesus, you do. Without Jesus, guess what? You don't. But he's not leaving you. So you do. Like, they're my defense. And when I feel that way, I I call them and talk to them. They're my defense. Who's your defense? You see, if you know where you're easily attacked, then, then get help in those areas because truth can replace fear, right? And hope can be restored. Let's look at verse 14. Because look at what happens next. Verse 14. And I looked and arose and said, to, and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. And so what Nehemiah does is he prays. And, and he recognized the problem was fear. And he spoke to that fear because he knew that the only weapon against fear was hope. You see, where hope increases, fear decreases. And he reminded them that they serve this God. The ultimate answer to fear from the enemy is this hopeful faith in God. And as I've been going through this and I keep talking about hope, you might be thinking, okay, so what is hope? Let me tell you what hope is biblically. Hope is not a wish, right? That works great at Disney World, but it's not biblical. Biblical hope is a confidence in God. And it's confidence in the character of God, confidence in the work of God, confidence that God is who he says he is and he can do and will do what he said he can and will do. That is what our hope is. You see, our hope is found in the never-changing character of God. That's what Nehemiah is drawing on. This is God's work and God's going to do it. You see... When this happened, the people got back to work. But look at verse 15. And when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan. I love that. They didn't say Nehemiah. The enemy said God had frustrated their plan. We all returned to the wall, each to his work. And from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held spears and shields and bows and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. And those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. And the men who sounded the trumpet beside me. In other words, they worked with, with, with building materials in one hand and a sword in the other. And, and here's why. They worked with, this, with continually understanding that attack can come at any time, but they were ready. Like before, you see this awareness of opposition. Now they are armed and ready because they know what, the, they know what defeats the enemy, and that's prayer. And that's prayer. You see, look at where their their confidence was placed. Look at verse 19. It says, And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Now their confidence was in God. Our God will fight for us. 
You see, when the enemy tries to give you fear, I want you to remember this verse. I want you to circle it. I want you to underline it. I want you to memorize it. I want you to put it on a note in your car when you're driving around. Our God will fight for us. That's the rally cry. That's the moment in Braveheart, right, where they got the white and blue paint, and he's, he's going along, hitting them all to get them ready, right? That's that moment. And the moment isn't, you've got this. The moment isn't, you can do this. The moment is, guess what? God is going to do this. He's going to do this through you, and he's going to get the glory. Our God will fight for us. You see, hope is confidence in God. It is confidence in God being who he said he is and doing what he said he will do. And this confidence, this hope, that is the only shield, that is the only defense to this enemy's weapon of words is hope. A sure and true confidence in God. And it is the only thing that will silence the enemy. Because look at verse 21. It says, and so we labored at the work. Half of them held spears from the, from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I also said to the people at that time, let every man uh, and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took our clothes off. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. And so what happened is the work continued, and it continued with this constant awareness that attack can come at any time, and you know what? We're ready. We're ready. We know how to pray. We know how to keep our hope and the confidence of God. Now, what's interesting, if you look at the board at the back, last week we started this, and you're welcome to continue it, but we asked people to write down, what's the thing that God wants to rebuild? What's the thing that God is stirring in you? What does he want to rebuild in your life? And if you look up there, you see all kinds of stuff. You, you see prayer life, you see trust, you see love, you see, you see ability to forgive, Bible reading. All of this stuff is the stuff that God is doing in and through people. And every single one of those things is going to face opposition. Every single one of those things. And the things that aren't even written up there are going to face opposition. Because it's God's work. And, and, and where God's work is, opposition is there. And as God does this stirring in you, as God does this rebuilding in you, you will face opposition. You will face words from the enemy to decrease your hope and to, in its place, put fear. Because he knows where your wall is half built. He's been doing this a long time. Right? He knows where your weak places are. He knows the places to hit to, to, to make you lose hope and to increase your fear. Satan's weapons is to, are designed to steal your hope and to give you fear. And your response to that is prayer. Prayer and this hope and the confidence of God. And it's posting guard in those weak, in those weak places. Now I said... <clears throat> I said we were going to talk about the weapon. Uh, that's what we're adding this week, by the way, is a sword. I'm going to add this. It's, it's like really a sword, too. Isn't that fun? Um, um, uh, this is why we don't allow kids on the stage. Uh, unless, you, unless, unless you're a parent and you want to bring them up here, that, you know, that's your business. But uh, no kids by themselves because we got sharp things up here like this. This is a Maasai warrior sword from Kenya. Um, and, and I have used it. Uh, we do have a federal agent here, so I will say I have used it to trim back bushes. Which is true, actually. I, he, he, I haven't used it for people. Um, but, um, not that there haven't been people. I thought about writing some names on here, but that'd be weird. Um, um, uh, so, so, but here's what this sword represents, right? 
This sword represents, we know opposition is going to come, and we know how to defend it. We know how to defend ourselves. We know how to pray. And, and, and what's interesting is this sword, when you, when you look at the scripture, we, it represents uh, many things. And, and if you take Nehemiah and you jump over to Ephesians uh, 6, we're going to see something else about this sword. Right, Because Paul takes this idea of what do we do when the enemy attacks and he adds to it. And I'm going to just, just going to do a couple of verses in Ephesians 6, 16 and 17. Um, if you want to turn with me, you can or, or you can just listen. Um, Ephesians 6, verse 16 says this. It says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And so in, in Ephesians 6, we see this. Listen, in all circumstances, be ready. And we have this shield of faith. The enemy's words and weapons are designed, even in the New Testament, to decrease our hope and increase our fear. And yet we have this hope, we have this confidence in all of God's promises. Look at verse 17. It says this. It says, take up the helmet of salvation. You see, a helmet protects. It protects your head. It protects, uh, you, you know, you can't, you can't live without a head, right? And, and so it protects the life that's in you. And notice what Paul says, that that. that place is. It is anchored in your salvation, the fact that Jesus died for you and rose from the dead for you so that you can have this life-giving relationship with the God who loves you and the God who created you, that in Jesus we find our only hope, that he is the one that is the anchor to our identity. He is the one that moves us and shapes us and empowers us. And as a church, we center everything on Jesus. That is salvation. And if you haven't said yes to that Jesus today, then let, be, let today be the day that you walk out of here a follower of Jesus. Because all this confidence in who God is and what God does, it starts with Jesus. and ends with Jesus. And without Jesus, you really don't have hope. But with Jesus, we do. Look at verse, the rest of verse 17. It says, and take up the helmet of salvation in the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so you see, this, this sword not only represents our readiness to be attacked and to face opposition, our, our prayer, but, but Paul goes a little bit further and he goes, this sword is actually the Word of God. Now what's interesting, in the Greek, typically when you see the word, word, is this Greek word logos, which means written word. Paul does something interesting here. He uses the word rhema, which is the spoken word of God, right? When Jesus was tempted by Satan, Jesus said, it is written, and he quoted the word of God, and he said it out loud to Satan. And y'all, I think that there's something here. This, this rhema means the spoken word of God, and so when you are experiencing oppression, you pray because that gets, your, that gets your attention to God, which is the right place for it. But then there's something else that happens that, that when the enemy is trying to take your hope and dash it to the rocks and put fear in its place, and he'll do that even as you're praying. There's something that happens when you speak the word of God out loud. There's something that happens in the spiritual world when the word of God is spoken out loud, not just in your head, but spoken out loud that changes things. And I don't know how that works, I just know that it does. And I know that when you say the words of God out loud, it shows the enemy where your confidence is. Maybe that's what it is. You see, our response to our enemy's attacks are words of prayer 
in the spoken word of God out loud. You see, our prayers direct our attention to God, but but I think when we speak God's word out loud, it places our confidence back into God's character. And, you know, I got to tell you, like this week, I was, I was, I was someplace, and, and, and I felt like, man, there is oppression on me. And I prayed, and I was like, wait a second, I'm preaching on this on Sunday. I know what to do, right? And then, here's what I did. I was like, okay, let's see, which verse is the best verse? Should I do? Like, literally, I was like, what's the most appropriate? And then I thought, this is stupid. Like, I don't know that that makes the difference. And so I quoted this verse, right? Because I've, I've, I, I've, it's, it's like mine. And all I said was, our God will fight for us. And y'all, the oppression was gone. Just like that. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm just telling you that's what happened. When we speak the word of God out loud, it changes stuff. That's why I said, underline that verse. Memorize it. Because I guarantee you, you know what? You've already memorized it. Because, listen, our God will what for us? Our God will. You got it. Like, when oppression comes, like, what would happen if we prayed and said that verse out loud? Or maybe you do have another one. Find it. Memorize it. Say it out loud to the enemy when oppression starts hitting. What would be fun is if you find some great verses, post it on Facebook, on our Fellowship Asheville Facebook page. Because it would be great to just kind of create this thread of verses that we can go to when, when, when oppression is striking. But y'all, here's the deal. And I want y'all with me on this. Let's not just say it in our head. Let's say it out loud. And see what difference it makes. Can y'all do that with me? All right, let's pray. Jesus, you are a very good God. And, and our confidence is in you. Our hope is in you. And, and, and for that, uh, we thank you. Thank you that, that, that you are the God who never changes. You are not a fickle God like the Greek and Roman gods. You are a God who is faithful and steady and true. And in that, God, we put our hope and we put our trust. And Father, you are worthy. And I pray for us as a congregation that this week when, when the enemy gets really loud and, and, and our fear increases because our hope has decreased, that, that we will stop and we will pray to you and we will speak your truth and your word out loud. And God, I pray that you would do what you do and you would, you would relieve us of that oppression. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.